Hey, I'm Amar Chohan. And I'm Charlotte Williams. Thanks for tuning in to Love, Hate, Create, our podcast about the world of modern advertising. We speak with the smartest people from the industry to find out whether we should be outraged or optimistic about where things are heading. Hi, so today we have Lindsay Slaby on the first episode of series two of our podcast. Uh, Lindsay is the founder of Sunday Dinner, um, which is a brand strategy consultancy that helps marketers reimagine the way that they plan, organize their teams, partner with agencies and build the best marketing of their careers. She spends a lot of time helping brands do uh, reorgs, which is uh, what she's spending a lot of her summer doing, as she tells us. Um, Lindsay is uh, often dubbed as a CMO whisperer. Um, Her work helps executive clients stay connected to the new ways of collaboration uh, and the kind of ever-shifting advertising partner landscape. She was recently recognized um, in 2020 um, by AdAge as a a 40 under 40 figure. And she's worked with clients such as Target, uh, Goldman Sachs, Canva, NBC Universal, and um, prior to launching Sunday Dinner, she worked agency side, and her last agency uh, role was at Droga Five, leading uh, the digital production unit there. So, really excited to have you on the show, Lindsay. Um, let's take it away. Thanks for having me. I have been waiting, and we've been scheduling this podcast for weeks or months. Um, and I just love spending time talking to you guys. Wonderful. Well, that's good to know. So before we go into all the fluffy, um, or the fluffy love question, let's um, start with a bit of a punchy one. Um, because Lindsay, we see you as a bit of a, an observer of what's happening in the industry. You often make some very good predictions, very prescient. So what would you say that the marketing and advertising brand community is ignoring at its own peril? Ooh, um, interesting. I think that, okay, now that you've stated that I make these huge predictions, this feels like a lot of pressure. Um, but uh, you ha- it has to be about talent. Um, and it has to be thinking differently about the talent that we decide on the marketing organization or within agencies to put on our teams and how we put them together. And as you were saying, I do a lot of reorgs and org design, and that is the focus on the client side. We are really trying to get out of typical silos, typical roles, understand how to work with a next generation of people who want to enter our industry and work in very multi-hyphenate ways. We don't have you know, we're not set up for that, as you guys, you know, right now. And um, I think we have to, to be able to attract the right people into our industry, as well as help them succeed and then deliver on the work. And when you talk about that talent, are you talking primarily about like client side marketeers or both agency side and client side? Both. My my purview, although, you know, I think it's so interesting. A lot of people think I work, um, you know, primarily like on the agency side and that dreaded word search, which um, I tried to like run away from in the first uh, couple of years of Sunday dinner and now just fully embrace it. Um, and I do know a lot about what's happening on agency side because 
as a client, we have to hire agencies all the time and are constantly looking at what resources they have and how they're structured and how they're nurturing talent and bringing talent in. But I do, you know, I primarily think it's client side. Um, as I always say, clients move the industry forward. I, I think that we are, you know, the buyers and what we're out there shopping for and driving is what changes the market and the agency services landscape really adapts to it. But I'm not seeing that, um, you know, the, the more traditional client-side marketing orgs are having as much innovation as they could in terms of how we think about bringing talent in. It's a very typical silo or a very typical, you know, process of this person, you know, senior, junior, this, this design copy versus really finding like new ways to nurture talent, train talent, bring in different people, accelerate where we're going with with new interesting um, capabilities. To me, there always seems, well, more so lately, a bit of a disconnect between like what the ad industry is talking about and maybe um, wanting to or trying to prioritize. And I'm, I'm, I'm referring to topics like diversity all the way through to like the impact of technology and what clients care about and actually clients quite often don't care about those things as much as adland does and that that's a bit of a a kind of um disconnect there that i think is not serving as well what do do you think there is a huge disconnect and i don't think it's inherently i mean i'm an optimist in many ways and that's like one thing we, we we can get into about how we, the industry talks about itself, but I do think that a couple of years ago, and it really, you know, stemmed from, um, you know, the murder of George Floyd in the United States and, you know, people sort of in the BLM movement, there was a huge look. Um, clients were really pressuring their partners to say, you know, look inside yourself. What does your team structure look like? Um, how, you know, how are you, you know, thinking about diversity? And I think agencies, if we're talking about the agency landscape, responded to that and knew that they had to and had to diversify and had to change things. And that's important. We need to keep doing that. But the hardest thing was I felt like on the client side, we were asking for all this, but we weren't reflecting it the same way. And that's been a challenge I don't know how to solve that necessarily. I feel like I have the privilege of working with clients and partners who have put diversity and inclusion at the center of how they think about their work and build their teams. But it is rare. It has sort of lost steam. And there's a lot of conversations about this that I think need to continue to be elevated on both sides of this aisle that we can kind of talk about today, you know, the agency side, the client side, and how we're asking each other to show up and participate and drive change together holistically. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's get into the the heart of, of this podcast then. Um, because as you know, it's, it's three steps. What is it that you love? What do you hate? And what are the real changes that if you had the power to, which you do to a degree <laughs> to, to change, um, at what, what change would you create? So, First of all, then, Lindsay, what is it that you you love about working in this space? Well, I mean, first of all, we should all realize, I think, if we're working in this space and those who are listening, like, kind of have the greatest job in the world in so many ways, right? The opportunity to 
be creative every day, to think yeah. about new things, to invent ideas, to sell it in. <laughs> um, I think that like in terms of, you know, a, a creative is actually thinking about new ways that we're going to shape how the world might see something. And that is like the most amazing thing uh, to get to do as a job. And I, there is so much. Well, oh my gosh, that's in the hate section. So I can't say that, but there's so much, there's so much stick to what you love. A lot of complaining. Right. And so I think that when you step back and go, oh my gosh, this is my job. It's amazing. Really? And we need to embrace that more. And yeah. In my world, you know, as you were saying, I'm working on so many reorgs and rethinking how marketing structures work. That is so fulfilling for me to get to reimagine the way that an organism works to all to lead towards delivering better creative work. I just I love my job and everything I get to do. And I think that we need to remember as a as a, a group in an industry, just like how privileged we are to get to have that. Okay, that's a little fluffy. Great. But also, I would say, like, I just came back from um, a conference that is called the Ad Age Small Agency Conference. It's very U.S.-centric, but it is all the sort of, not all of them are independent, but many are or have small investment um, from holding companies that are small agencies, super entrepreneurial. And I think building the future of what you know, ad agencies can deliver. It is the most, like, closest thing to a, a family when it comes to work friends and colleagues that I've ever been at. And anyone who goes will tell you it's just magic in that way. You know, you're paying to go for two days, not to meet clients, but to invest in time with your peers, your competitors, people you pitch against, and they come together to really talk about like, well, what's happening over here with your pricing and how are you changing contracts and what is the industry looking for that we could partner up on? And that I think it was it was really created by Judy Pollack of AdAge is one of it's such a great shining star um, in our industry. And I yeah. think it's a great mark for how we need to behave in terms of people coming together. I think that's really interesting because I'm you know, honored to be part of the Sunday dinners community and what you're, which is wonderful, but it's the generosity, right? And that the, and I don't think, let's be honest, you're necessarily going to have that between whole co's and non-independents because they're guarded, they're protective and right, rightfully so to a degree. Um, but you know, it is that, that, that there is so much that people are prepared to share and, advice insight how they win business it's quite incredible isn't it that collegiate yeah sense. we're all like on the same Culture. mission together i think as people who you know a lot of the people running small agencies or small consultancies today their career came from a holding company or a larger organization where they you know built that knowledge and understanding and now they want to do something different or they're homegrown you know from that there were a lot of amazing companies I've never heard of that were younger teams that really, you know, just started from the ground up to build the new idea of what an agency should be. And I think everyone just like has a North star of doing great work and driving our industry forward. That is like so optimistic. Um, but I believe it and I see it at that event. So that's one of the things I love about the industry. And my last thing is just the pace. Like, whew, I mean, We've all we've all gone through the pace, which you know, 
Yep. Again, there's a lot of negativity that's spoken about it sometimes and the amount of work you have to do, et cetera. But it is a, we are fast paced movers on things and um, I live for it. I love it. It's interesting. Like if I'm, if I'm not working on like nine things, I sort of just like slow down and look around. If I'm on three things, I don't pay attention as much, you know? I love the fast pace. I love switching from things really fast. I love the nature of, on my side, you know, being a consultant and and solving problems quickly and coming in and making change and then seeing that show up in the world. So, um, and I love advertising, to be honest. So, yeah. Not for the faint-hearted, though, then, it sounds like, right, the way that you, you've just Oof. described it there. No. There are many different, I think I wanted to be, either a veterinarian when I was young or I thought I was going to be like a food TV chef that I played in my kitchen on my own talking to my fake people all the time. So, and I've, those are neither of the things I ended up doing. <laughs> <laughs> not yet anyway. Okay. Yeah. Not, not yet. <laughs> okay. Well, look, that was really fascinating actually it was it was a nice varied um, answer from you there about what you love. I, I love the different shades. Why don't you tell us a bit about what you hate then having um, worked in this in this space for a while? Such a harsh word. Um, <laughs> I know. We had to make it harsh. I know. Got to stand out. Up. Okay. okay. Got to stand out. Well, one which I already sort of talked about is this. There's a, We, I think, fall culprit to being, and I do too, being down on something when frustrated, right? And there is this like negativity that breeds in our industry. It's a highly emotional industry. <laughs> and like it becomes this sort of toppling effect where people really want to get attention, I think, you know, for having a point of view. And many times it's a negative point of view. And I hate it. I literally, there's like, if I see someone I know who I usually have a conversation with writing like, negative stuff all over LinkedIn and the industry this I I text them and I'm like you should take do you really believe that you should take that down like I'm very explicit like you're a leader at an organization and this is what you're putting out there how are you you know going back to the beginning of this how are you bringing in the next generation of people you're just speaking so negatively about what you do like do something to change it right so I think, um, and and so many times when I did, you know, there are agencies that will spin off of, you know, we came out of a large company and they'll say, hey, we want to show you our cred stack. The first three pages are all about how like effed up, messed up, the current agency model is blah, 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 blah. And then they show me work from that agency that they were just at. I'm like, okay, great. So that enables you not to make these things, you know, I think just Anna. don't hate on the things that you do. Show me where you're at and be positive and proactive um, like other businesses. And I, it's just, I'm sure it's in other industries, but it's like highly, highly um, in this emotional, ego-driven <laughs> world of advertising. It always yeah. feels yeah. very peaked, you know? I, I think feel you're, like the se- you're the second conversation I've had today like this. I was talking to someone else earlier in our space who was saying that, yeah, she was looking at, at, at a deck that someone had written and on the second page they were just absolutely like coming down so hard on agencies. Agencies are outdated, the models messed up, blah, blah, blah. And it's it is it does seem to be a very naval we're very navel gazing, or the industry is quite navel gazing in, mm-hmm. in that sense. 
Right. Exactly. I don't know. I haven't seen it in as many other industries. People yeah. talking about this. <laughs> if you send that yeah. deck to me, and many have, I immediately am like, I didn't read past that page. Like, get over yeah. yourself. Realize that the person yeah. you're talking to most likely is a client who's been paying those places forever. So now you're telling me as a client that I've been kind of effing up too. So I like, absolutely not. All right. Another thing. <laughs> another thing I hate. It's super clicky, um, and we all have mm-hmm. our clicks, right? But at the highest level of this industry, there are few people in power that are like holding on to it a little bit, like American politics, um, right? And like they're very clicky, and they're very guarded about letting fresh voices in. I find that you have to like rip and tear sometimes. Not me. Thankfully, not me personally, but like it is just hard to have fresh voices at the top. And we have to allow for that, just like board members right now, allowing people to come in that are younger, um, more diverse. You don't have to wait till you're retired to be on a board. We need to shape these companies now. And I think, again, that the industry is in not the best state it's always been in. And we need to have fresh voices at the top. And I, I feel like there's these walls to break down, and there's a lot of money involved in all of that as well. Um, I'm sure you know about that. You see it at Kayon, um, and you kind of can like draw these distinctions for these different groups and how they function. But fresh voices at the top, super important. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the reasons why there's a sense of resentment and therefore a mm. lot of this trash talk that we were just talking about. But instead of trash talking, actually figure out a, a better solution, a better way and talk about why that's better and actually walk the walk, right? There are definitely reasons to complain, but if all of the energy and emphasis is on like what's wrong rather than like what can be done better or, or in, in the right yeah. way, I think that's where a lot of energy is, is, is misplaced because yes, there is, uh, need for for like some uh, rejuvenation and, and innovation in our space but um, it's about the people who have the power and the capital essentially to support those people that are on the outside that have a new way that could change things for the better um, and actually change the hopefully the, the perception of those people that are clinging on um, or at least rele- relieve some of that control out of their their hands I am like drawn like a magnet to those people as clients. And I feel like sometimes I get told like, you're too optimistic about client agency partnerships. They're terrible. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like my clients are not like that. And if they are, they have someone who will be like, we don't do it this way. And they're like, oh, okay, great. How else should we do it? You know, like you just have to find your people and move forward. But you know, that's where you see the great people hiring independent agencies because they want that fresh thinking um, or, you know, because it's it is harder to find at the at the top of our industry. So that that I don't like. <laughs> this is like this is crazy. It's like a list of stuff I don't like. Cathartic. I know that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm like everything I would tell people not to say you guys are making me say <laughs> like we shouldn't. Be- OK, let- here's all the things I hate. <laughs> But you know what? I just I, I I need to bring this up because one thing that I know you love and and a lot of people who who know you know you love is is, and I think it's relevant here is contracts. Oh my god! 
and a good and a good read. So, is this somewhat some of what we're talking about here about agency and client partnerships? Um, is some of the solution around this the contract, the brief? Could you talk to that a bit more? Because you you have been quite you know vocal in the past about how much you love contracts. Why why is that for the benefit of our listeners? <laughs> I know, and probably because I just my PBS client had sent me a message like. I hope you're home in the next couple of days. We sent you something as a thank you. And it was a mug that literally said, I love contracts. And I'm like, these people see me, they get me. Um, <laughs> the, it is, we spend all this time on like the creative ideas and how we're going to like do all these amazing things. And then we set up these contracts that are like locking you into one of these and one of that. And this is it. And this is all you're doing. And then it becomes this like relationship about money and change orders and everything kind of gets after you know how that goes like that's the worst case scenario but the way we structure our deal sets us up for success and there are so many different ways you can do contracts i will tell you so many times your main client has probably never read your contract i know it's great or the people working on your business that are asking you know on the client side that are saying like Hey, here's a new project. Here's a new thing. Here's a new thing. Here's a new thing. They haven't read the contract. They don't even know how it's structured. Sometimes nobody knows where the contracts are at the company. I have done so many audits where we're like, all right, how are we going to rebuild this team or an in-house team? I'm like, well, what's the work we're currently doing? Maybe it's been with agencies or, you know, and people are like, oh, that would mean we have to find all the contracts. Like, call this person, call that person, call that person. I'm like, what? What? <laughs> This is like $20 million worth of work. Nobody knows where the freaking contracts are. And they're like, well, we've had this agency forever. So we have the contract from 15 years ago. We just put an addendum on it every year. I'm like, but like things have changed in 15 years. <laughs> they're like, yeah, should we rewrite that? I'm like, absolutely. I don't even, sometimes I'm like, that isn't even what you hired me to do. I will be doing this with a glass of wine and watching some bad TV. And I will rewrite this for you just because I think you need it. Charlotte, you're getting my obsession coming out. It seems like a strong basis for a good relationship, though, doesn't it? Really? <laughs> I guess. I mean, like, <laughs> you know, you, you don't buy a house or, like, enter without a contract. I mean, and you pour over that freaking thing. You're like, I want this, and this is the deal, and I'm going to change this, and this is how my money's going to work. This is how I'm going to do my payments. I mean, you're obsessed with it. But it's also about the quality of the home and the things versus just the money. And I think that when you just have procurement writing a contract for a number, you're totally ignoring all of the most important components and parts and decisions that you made, which drive the basis of the work. So, okay, I could speak about this for a whole, um, a whole, what? What? Let's spend a couple couple of minutes on it, actually, because I I find the the, the subject really interesting as well. Um, as as uh, a once lawyer, I um, unfortunately Ooh. because I don't love it anywhere near as much as you do, uh, always end up getting the job of reviewing contracts wherever I've worked, wherever I've done. Um, yeah. But I feel like maybe I should just I should just outsource it to you um, instead, Lindsay. But look, my my question here is around um, like procurement's driving the contract discussion because um, in my experience procurement 
uh, teams aren't very flexible. And so actually the terms that uh, an agency, and let's think uh, about maybe some of the smaller independent yeah. shops, um, are then kind of bound by a set of terms yep. that actually offer the client all of the protection that they want and uh, mean that there are concessions that have to be made for the the supplier at the end of the day. Partner is a better word, but at the end of the procurement season as a supplier, right? Yep. How do we get a more balanced approach in, in, in that equation? Because that's a tough one, I think, for, for, for the smaller, newer shops. Well, first of all, you hired me on the client side. <laughs> Great. Um, it's interesting. So contract, let's talk about two things. All the legal terms, MSA, PSA, whatever you want to call that, and then an SOW, right? Um, very different and handled by different groups within an organization on the client side. The MSA, PSA is legal, and there is like no way in the world they're going to let you change anything generally. Um I usually put a top sheet on it and say, cannot change, like will never happen. And then here are the negotiables. And then to be honest, ideally agree to this stuff and we'll update it in the SOW. Like the SOW will supersede the, on that deal will supersede the MSA. So like if you have 60 day or 90 day payment terms and like we can't get past those and your client like, is like I can't change it, just update the payment terms in the SOW and usually it works. Um, there are so many nuances to both of them. I will say I have had a great working relationship with procurement because a few things. One, um, well, I don't. Well, a lot of my team, a lot of my clients don't. Their procurement teams don't function like what I think is like this dreaded buying tool that a lot of people talk about. Again, my like, I get called out for being overly optimistic, but I just have clients who've set up their way of working with agencies in you know the best possible way but procurement just wants to be a part of the party guys like they want to come in early they want to know what you're doing they don't want to just be the last one you call and say hey do this deal and like i need it in two days and you give no respect for their role you just have to like listen to them as a party and understand what they're looking for brief them tell them what's coming what are the things you want and I feel like the relationship works really smoothly that way. They also don't really read the SOWs either. They just give you a template and say, fill in all this stuff. Um, if they're not agency, if they're not used to marketing services, then they're really not going to like go through it. And sometimes they are. And ideally, that should be a better relationship because they understand the work that you're doing. Again, I've heard horror stories about people having procurement boxes and this, and you can't have these rates. And there's a lot of ways to get around it with a really good relationship with a CMO who's come in and made it their priority to fix the way they invest in agency relationships. And that's a really important thing for CMOs to come in and say, I get you have all these processes. This is the way I want the investment I'm making with my partners to work and move it forward. I often feel like sometimes I hear CMOs will be like, I don't know, we've never talked to them, or they sit under someone else's team, or like, we'll just go around them. Nope, none of that works. Um, I don't know if I'm answering your question besides- uh, you, No, you absolutely are, and and it's super oh, interesting. It, it, it is like, it's just the best, if I have to hire an agency for something, the best 
agencies say, I want to have a conversation with procurement or I want to see the contract day one. And you should. You should want to see the MSA before you get involved in anything. And I will happily provide that. Yeah, um, brilliant. Have you heard of... Um, the, yeah, go ahead. So have you heard of... Is it Blair Ennis, um, Win Without Pitching? He has a podcast. I think you'd love it and you should probably be able to guest on it uh, because it's all about the the kind of... Uh, practicalities of of, of running yeah. an agency and like working with procurement and pitching to clients and commercials and uh, it's, a, it's it's a great listen for someone. I mean, like I learned me. the hard way. I don't know, maybe like Sunday dinner. I think is about ten years old, and I was doing like a lot of work with agencies maybe six years ago or so. And I remember we found this agency, we loved them, we wanted to move forward with them, and like balls in their court we already told the other ones you're not in you're it um and the agency was like we will not agree to like half of these terms in the msa and i was like oh no we have to make this work for them right because they're our partner we've already moved forward so i mean good good on them for asserting that what they wanted but if we had said we can't do this then we would have been back to square one or very sheepishly sheepishly had to call one of the agencies we declined and said Oh, never mind. We didn't mean that. You're it for us. Great. <laughs> yeah, it's in both parties' interests to, to make it work and like com- compromise, right? Yeah. A top 10 things you need to know about the relationship working with us is super important to have in any RFP, any meeting. Demand it if you're an agency. Right. And it will say like, we will not have mutual indemnity. The liability on this project will be the full amount or whatever. There's like a few things that really can especially with brand work and liability right now, that's a huge piece. Like any sort of corporation is going to want you, the agency, to take all responsibility for a logo or a trademark and you should push back because that could be millions and millions and millions of dollars of a lawsuit and your contract was only, you know, two million bucks or something like that. Yeah. I feel a little masterclass coming on on on, um, contracts. You created this, Charlotte? You created... (laughs) okay it's 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 in the plans um right so i'm very conscious we 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 haven't got to create yet spent Um, 20 minutes talking um, about contracts and procurement we we might need to rename this episode no i love it it's wonderful um in very granular detail but what so lindsay what change is it that you would create in the industry if you could wave a magic wand what would you do to make it sustainable, healthy, wonderful for the next 10 years? Forever, even. Forever? Well, <laughs> okay, my, I had a lot of notes to this. I think um, we've discussed some of those things, right? New skill sets, new org structure, you know, dusting off some models. But I have, I think there's one thing that's super, super granular, which is all about incentive structure. So... Whichever side of the industry you're talking about, whether it's marketing org or agency, specifically on marketing orgs, I think um, client side, if we want to say, you have to think about their incentive structure, right? Like they're generally incentivized to just do what they're doing heads down, like department. So usually they would get a 70% bonus or something like that based on their department and 30% based on how they contribute to the corporation. That is changing a lot. And I don't think enough people understand that, which means they can look more for the greater good of integrated advertising. Some of the reasons things don't work and agencies are siloed and this is my territory and whatever, 
all is based on how we pay people and incentivize them. And the best leaders are coming right in and changing that. And that has been a huge, it's a, it was a huge unlock for me to understanding how to set up better models and ways of working. So we need to think about how we pay people and incentivize them to work collaboratively or else everything just kind of stays the mess that it is. Um, and if you're saying like 10 years fast forward, you know, I think one, you have to follow the money, right? Like everything's going to follow the money and where it's going. But our industry is going to blend way more with entertainment. You know, in the U.S., that is, advertising and entertainment are our export. They're a huge part of the U.S. GDP. Um, I think we're seeing the strikes right now really saying like, hello, pony up. Like we are working, you know, our asses off and not being paid properly for it. So that's a huge, you know, and this drives the U.S. economy globally for sure. But I do think you're seeing entertainment really becoming a blend with advertising and those skill sets and ways of creating storytelling. And um, I think that will be closer than 10 years, five years, and it will blend. Yeah, everyone can create a Barbie, right? Everyone can do that. Oh, God, please. Oh, I don't please know. Please, no. <laughs> <laughs> My LinkedIn can't handle it. <laughs> if one more person sends me a Barbie thing, I'm like, I get it. I have not seen the movie yet. I, I don't have time to go to the movie theater, but also I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait because I feel like I have too much Barbie in my marketing world right now. Oh, God. Totally yeah. uh, a Barbie overdose in, in my brain for sure. Yeah. Um, do you, do you, can you shed some light on maybe an example of what like a better incentive structure looks like then? You talked about the traditional way. Like, can you shed a little bit of light on, like, what the, the, the more effective way to your mind is? Ooh. Well, one, I think, is reversing, like, um, usually your comp bonus, you know, is based on, like, directly what you impact, right? So if I work on selling, you know, one line of product within a larger corporation, like, I'm just focused on that versus the greater goal of the business. And I think that we're seeing that switch so that you can look at contribution happening um, more across the business. Again, if you're a growth, let's talk about growth and brand and like that mess that we've created. Like, nobody's going to care about brand if you're specifically compensated only for the work that you're doing in growth. So, I don't have the answer. I've seen some people who are realigning the priorities in different ways at a very, very senior sort of C-suite level. Um, but I do think that we have to get much smarter about how we, as an, as an industry, are really thinking about structuring teams and measuring their impact for the business. I mean, measurement is kind of a mess and I think there are new metrics and new models that are constantly um, coming up. The most amazing thing about summer for me is um, this is what clients are talking about. We're doing annual planning, go-to-market plans, reorgs, all sorts of great things. My summer is really in September and I'm seeing so many new ideas about like how we think about rewarding our team, how we think about building new pods and capabilities and ways of working and that really has to be in collaboration with your head of people, of head of HR as well. 
Um, again, the job of a marketer is not, or a CMO as a leader is not just creating ad campaigns. It's so much more. And really how we're building, this kind of like circles back to this whole conversation about talent, teams, and how we pay people, right? At the end of the day, this is our job. And we want to be able to contribute in the right way and move forward and build success for ourselves and our families. We need to make sure that we figure out business and value contribution to the, the corporate goal structure that trickles all the way down through marketing. Yeah. Yeah. It's that classic kind of out, you know, outputs versus outcomes as well, isn't it? To a degree is, you and, know, and I think value creation rather yeah. than measuring work. And go away from the yeah. benchmarks. You know, all of us have seen the yeah. various unnamed big consultancies that are like, you have to do it exactly this way or exactly this way. Really have to do it that way again. Um, in a marketing organization, I think that you need ever like when one all boats rise together, right? Like, and if one team is just really excelling at how they're driving the business with one lever, it really needs to be looked at holistically. Um, and the minute you see everything kind of switch into like again, let's say it was seventy percent departmental and thirty percent corporate, where you were getting your incentive bonus structure for, if you flip that. You're going to see people completely change how they operate and completely work together in new ways. I don't know if I answered your question. It, it's a really hard. I, if everyone had the answer, it would be published and out there. But it has to happen client side to be able to enable us to set agencies up for success. Otherwise, we're going to keep siloing them and be like, you only need to think about this thing. Don't think about this part. That's not important. And they're like, well, okay. Okay, because <laughs> you know why have you been following um the huge story and michael farmer's coverage of kind of how they've changed things on the agency side about how they kind of package up their services and charge clients and then if if you have what do you what yeah do you think? i love how you said huge and i was thinking like huge as in big so i have the book it's sitting on my nightstand michael farmer wrote me a very nice note in it. and i haven't read it um i will read it I would say just before I do, Huge is not an ad agency. And so saying that this is a Madison Avenue makeover is a little challenging. Um, Their structure has always been different. They're a digital agency um, and they've moved into different things. And if you asked anyone from Huge over the past two years, they would say a million times, we are not an ad agency, not an ad agency. We don't make ads. They want to be, you know, Accenture Deloitte. So... It's a little challenging just to read the the notion that as an industry, we're using them to hold up. I would love to see this happen with like an Ogilvy or someone like that. Um, but yes, there are very complicated productization tables in there. I need to get my head around, which is why it's still on my nightstand. <laughs> um, but I'm excited. I'm excited to read about it. I just think that, again, the the generalist approach sometimes to saying, like, if one person does this, it's the sign for everyone is not the most healthy. So um, I will read it. And it might be too early already to, you know, see the, the results of that transformation, I guess, as well. Yeah. And um, again, they're a very different organism that different base, you know, a 72 and sunny or something like that. But um, have you read it? 
I haven't read it. I've, I've, I've read a lot about it and I've read uh, numerous yeah. interviews, which kind of give you the gist of the book, right? You read the first oh, pages okay. of it, first, first quarter of any business book and you've, you've got the gist of it. Um, oh. And I, I think uh, it's compelling. I think the, the watershed moment will be, as you say, when actually a, a, a more comms driven yeah. um, business agency company um, tr- takes the the learnings and and applies it to to their own offering um and then we'll know whether it's actually transferable or not but uh, i definitely think it's uh it's it's an interesting shift um and i think there's got to be a better solution to billable hours right that 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 is clearly something that doesn't quite work well for the people in the industry and um, I do not look at the charts. I do not. I don't, like if you want to use a staffing plan to make something fine. But at the end of the day, my budget's three million bucks. It's three million bucks, and these are the things I generally need to get taken care of. We're gonna just write our scopes that way. I don't look, you yeah. know. And I think so. You um, don't care whether thirty people worked on it or three people worked on it, as long as it gets done. Don't don't care, and that I have the right talent and leadership, and it's not you know it's organized with project management. Um, but yeah, Tracy Shercliffe from Scope, she always has great ideas about how she's thinking about scoping. And she spoke at this small agency conference I was talking about um, and put up these sheets. And you were like, oh, is that how stuff, stuff still gets done? But deliverables based, you can have a blend of retainers. I mean, there's so many freaking different ways to set these things up. Do I believe like looking at a sheet of products, maybe it commoditizes? some of the work we're doing again i gotta i gotta read the book and i will and then i'll come back to you yeah looking forward to hearing you we'll do a round it. two <laughs> yeah i love like the idea of thinking differently and there's we have to evolve in how we pay for things and make things and price things and excite people to come into our industry speak openly and positively about what we're doing because we have the best job in the world Totally. Well, thank you so much, Lindsay. Before we go, um, it's been brilliant talking to you. We could talk for hours. Before we go, is there anything else you would like to share? Where where you see the industry headed? You talked a bit about entertainment. Any other final gems of wisdom? I think that's the big piece. I think entertainment, some people might say entertainment's coming for us. That was a really interesting topic. So many agencies are starting you know they're blending with working with a celebrity right we're seeing what ryan reynolds is doing and all these new forms and it's this amazing collaboration of like agency people plus a celeb coming together building production and for a while that was very hard to sell in client side because we're like um you can't just pitch us random ideas we have a strategy and a business thing and they're tweaking that michael sugars what he's building I'm fascinated by it. At first, I was a little skittish, but um, yeah, I th- I think, you know. It's quite compelling. Well, so much of advertising is, has been filling boxes and like it feels like a machine. And I think this is signaling in a way and like branded content became kind of fluffy and like, okay, great. We spent all this money making this thing that like we have to pay people to see. Why are we not working with people who know how to create magic and story in the same way? And I think we have creatives who know how to do that, but we need to blend with them. So super fascinated about that and continue to have dialogue with people who are doing it. And I, I'm excited. So I think that's going to be exciting. Excellent. Thank you so much. And they know how to write contracts. So it's great, right? 
in demand. <laughs> Hollywood will be calling oh you. <laughs> Thank you, Lindsay. Catch you soon. Thanks a lot, bye.